You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Cindy Johnson. Welcome. It is March 12th, 2023, and this is episode 216 of Lighthearted. Today, we're listening to part two of a two-part interview with Jeremy Dontremont. Our listeners know that Jeremy is usually the host and interviewer, but in this case, he's the interviewee as Bob Trapani did the question asking. So hi, Bob and Jeremy. Hi, Cindy. And what a blast that was to be on the other <laughs> end asking Jeremy questions. It was awesome. I bet. <laughs> hey, Cindy. Hey, Bob. Hey, this Jeremy. Feels, this feels so weird, but it's great. I love it. <laughs> Before we listen to part two of the interview, we want to tell you about an event that's coming up in a couple of months, the Door County Lighthouse Festival in Wisconsin. Yep, uh, they will be having their spring festival during the weekend of June 9th to June 11th. There's also a fall festival in late September. The festival weekends include air, land-based, boat, and adventure tours that reach all 11 of the lighthouses in Door County. You can read more about the Door County Lighthouse Festival on the Door County Maritime Museum's website at dcmm.org. So let's get right to introducing part two of Bob's interview with Jeremy. We did an introduction last week, so we won't do that again, but I'll just mention that Jeremy's association with lighthouses goes back nearly 40 years, so there was a lot to talk about. Bob, you've known Jeremy for a long time, 25 years or so. Did you learn anything from the interview that you didn't already know? I'm sure I did. I asked him so many questions that I've actually forgotten what I learned. No, <laughs> no I, I'll tell you what, it, Jeremy filled in some blanks for me in knowing Jeremy as well as I have. There's just things that I either didn't know all the detail to or I've had forgotten. And it was really it was really fun to relive some of those great moments through, you know, the last 20 some years knowing him and then learning about some of the where he started. So, yeah, I mean, you always learn something. And this interview was no different. Mm. I don't know if either one of you remembers the the old TV show. This is your life. But it was a little <laughs> bit like that for me. You probably have some idea what I'm talking about. But, uh, you know, I, I sort of felt like I learned things about myself that I didn't know before. <laughs> it was cool being interviewed by somebody who uh, kind of speaks the same language, I would say, Bob, somebody who's known me for so long, uh, gave me a chance to look back at my lighthouse career in a, a fresh way. So let's listen to part two of Bob Trapani's conversation with Jeremy Dontremont now. So we've talked all about some of these aspects, Jeremy. We haven't even got, got to lighthouse preservation. Your involvement and dedication in this field of lighthouse preservation, it's no less amazing. What inspired you to get involved with the effort to save our lighthouses? Again, it all it all goes together, you know, and if you're interested in saving the history of these places, how can you not be interested in saving the actual structures? I mean, so in the 90s, when I was first it was before I was making a living doing lighthouse stuff, but I was really getting into them and realizing how fascinating the history was. And then I and I started to realize how a lot of these places are endangered. So that got me involved. And then I ended up getting on the board of the American Lighthouse Foundation circa late 90s. And uh, it kind of took off from there. And then, of course, there was the forming of the local chapter here in Portsmouth a little bit later. But um, it just it just seems like a natural progression to uh you're very much involved in the whole scope of it as well 
You know, one of the uh, admirable traits that I think about you is your generosity. Um, to me, I, I see it time and again, you're always willing to share your knowledge with groups or individuals when it comes to your experiences, history uh, that you've garnered over the years. Um, why is it important for you to, to be able to share that with people? Well, it comes down to, you know, I think simple human, human decency, really. I mean, I've been helped by so many people over the years when I've, I've gone uh, to them for, for help, whether it's, uh, you know, local historians, people involved with various lighthouses who've almost invariably, uh, you know, been so, so open about sharing stuff with me and letting me use photos and information and so forth. So it's a way of kind of paying it forward. If somebody approaches me, whether it's a, a student writing something about lighthouses or somebody working on a novel or they're looking for some information to get things accurate, that happens fairly often. Uh, or whether it's uh, somebody needing a, a photograph for a for an article and not having a budget to pay for it, which happens a lot. You know, that anything like that, uh, when I'm able to, I, I, I want to help out because I've been helped by so many people along the way. I know it's human decency, but I mean, it's not always something that we can readily, you know, benefit by. Not everyone is in that same degree of, of helpfulness or generosity. I, I know there's a lot of great people in the Lighthouse community and a lot of people feel just like you, but I do know even firsthand experience that your generosity uh, at helping, not just with history, but if there's a Lighthouse preservation question or experience or connections with contacts, you're, you're always right there, first in line saying, I can help. And I mean, that's so helpful to people and encouraging. Well, yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Um, and uh, I don't have all the answers by any means. As I said, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. But I've uh, been in this field for so long that if I don't have the answer myself, often I have a contact who might might know the answer. And I can refer people to other people, whether it's you or Jeff Gales or Tom Tag with the U.S. Lighthouse Society, who's a technical expert on many things. People like that, you know, I have these contacts around con contacts around the the country and around the world, you know, that can help out too. So, yeah, that's it. And um, because you have that uh, relationship with so many people and contacts, it, it's uh, you're able to connect people easier, faster. Um, so, thank you. That's that's awesome. You talk about lighthouse preservation. Do you have a um, you know, maybe I don't want to necessarily say it's your proudest experience, but something that you're proud of that you've been involved with, with uh, maybe at Portsmouth Harbor. Is there a project that you've been most proud of so far? Because I mean, you're still at it. There's going to be more. But up till now, is there one that you really stands out as really cool? Hmm. I don't know if there's one exactly. I think uh, there's some things in the works with Portsmouth Harbor we may not want to talk about today that may be really exciting in the future. Uh, we got Whaleback Lighthouse, and we're hoping to to still do do more there as well. I'll tell you one of the things I'm most proud of, and it's 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 only peripherally lighthouse related, but um, we uh, I was part of a small committee that established a memorial to Edward Rowe Snow on George's Island at Fort Warren in Boston Harbor, and uh, it's a nice tablet of the plaque of him, uh, a little bit about him. Uh, it's by a picnic uh, pavilion there uh, on, at Fort Warren. And that happened in the early 2000s. 
And we got a big crowd there for the dedication. And I was really happy to be part of that because it's perpetuating his his memory. And people will see that and think, well, I wonder who that guy was and maybe look up his, his books and so forth. So that I was, I was as proud of as anything I, I've done. But that's not doesn't really answer your question. Oh, I, I think in some ways it it does a little. It does have a lighthouse connection. It certainly has a maritime connection. Um, but I, you know, yeah, I mean, anything, something to like that to Edward Ross Snow, who's a giant in the lighthouse, you know, history field is it's it's awesome. I think when I when I look at you, I I think uh, I one of the cool things was you helping um, oversee the even the 2019 project at the repainting exterior project at Portsmouth Harbor, which was no, that was a pretty big project. Uh, I, I thought that was, uh, that was one that I thought um, you can be proud of that, 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 that was carried out. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, again, I, I gotta, I gotta point out that you're, you've done this a couple of times today where you're, you're telling me things I've done where I could be saying the same things about you. So, <laughs> I mean, as director of the American Lighthouse Foundation, you're very much uh, in the middle of uh, all those projects with all the chapters and everything. So you oversee those projects very, very closely and very well. So I want to mention that. But yeah, it was it was great being part of that. And going back to the earlier repainting in 09, I believe, was it? No, was that right? <laughs> it was like nine years between paintings. So we had it in 20 in 2019. Maybe it was 2010. Was that the previous it one? It might have been 2010. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So when that was done, not only was the lighthouse uh, painted uh, inside and out, but bird netting was put up underneath the ironwork at the top of the tower because we had a problem with cliff swallows nesting on the, the lighthouse. And that was something I really pushed for because I was tired of cleaning that up <laughs> from the birds. So, um, you know, it was done in a, in a, a very uh, conscientious way at a time when the birds weren't there to nesting sure. and everything. Um, but that was that was interesting to be part of that as well. And, the you know, the, we had a couple of renovations of the oil house, uh, which were interesting and uh, so forth. But there's there's always something. And now we're looking at the the upcoming rebuilding of the walkway. Well, I, I think I got to answer this question for you a little bit then based on what you just said. And I understand you're not alone. I believe, I understand that the, the friends of Portsmouth Harbor lighthouses as a, as a chapter and, and all the people involved. Um, but I will say that I think then for me, one of the proudest things that then I can say about yourself and the friends of Portsmouth Harbor lighthouses is, is that the work you're doing is actually keeping that lighthouse in, in such good shape that it actually doesn't need a major restoration project because when you're on top of the maintenance at regular intervals, you keep yourself from having to deal with that. So that under itself is a really great thing. Yeah. Well, we um, we do have a, a good bunch of people. We have a what we call a chapter leadership committee, kind of like the the board of the chapter. But and Michelle and Cindy, who listeners know from the podcast, are both both part of that. Michelle is the chairperson, so they're very important. And uh, you know, the volunteers we've had, a lot of whom enjoy doing the hands-on work. So every two or three years, we paint the stairs and the tower and the 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 floors uh, and the upper levels and so forth. And you've been involved in a couple of those, uh, a couple of the times that at least a couple of times that's happened, including the time you were on the 30 foot ladder painting the undersides of the stairs a few years ago. So. Yeah, no doubt about that. And they were fun times, you know, not just because of what the work we were doing. I had a blast working with the, the fellow volunteers. They were just that unto itself is a reward for doing that kind of work. Mm -hmm. So we're speaking of preservation, Jeremy, and you've been involved, you know, since the late 90s. 
Um, and I know this is a, a broad question, but has it changed at all in your mind since you know since you first got involved to today? Uh, and if so, what might those aspects be? I think it's gotten overall tougher to get money for preservation projects. Um, I think money is tighter everywhere. I think there were more government grants uh, years ago. As far as public awareness, I'm not sure that's varied that much. It's, I think it's more a matter of the economy and whether people have, have money to spare and stuff like that. Well, you know, if you think about it, I, I think from from my perspective, I've seen when we were when we first got involved with this, there was uh, no NHLPA. So you had Coast Guard well, licenses and true. things of yeah. that nature. Uh, so the NHLPA came about, and, and as much as it was an opportunity, I, I think it it actually obviously is a is even a bigger responsibility because it literally falls on the nonprofit. Then I see that. I th- I think our aging baby boomer generation yeah. too with volunteers. I think we're seeing that change happening. In front yes. Yeah. Yes. This is this is extremely true. Um. But so everything you're saying is really important. Yeah. The NHLPA certainly changed the the ball game. Yeah, aging volunteers is a major issue for sure, uh, and it is. I think we're seeing it across the the board. So it's it's something we're always talking about within the American Lighthouse Foundation, within the U.S. Lighthouse Society, and elsewhere. Is how do we how do we attract the younger younger people to get involved? That's a subject we could devote we'll, a, a podcast we'll, or two we'll to. Have to but, do that another time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you're right. That's a major thing, and the the whole COVID epidemic pandemic didn't help in many ways. It didn't help financially, of course. It, it really hurt organizations, but also uh, you had a lot of the older volunteers. You know, a lot of places had to shut down for a year or more, and we uh, lost volunteers along the way. Some of them don't want to come back partly because they've gotten that much older, but also because of the dangers of still the dangers of COVID yeah. and things. Yeah, so that, 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 that made a big dent in things for sure. For sure. That apprehension is real. And it's something that every nonprofit is probably dealing with it to some degree, you know, so, and understandably, but it's just, uh, and I don't think we're done seeing those changes. I, I, you know, I think it's just, it's only natural that decade to decade, we're going to continue to see changes. Nothing stays the same. So, um, yeah, that's a tough question, but it is it is something that uh, if you're in this movement long enough, you yeah. do start to see changes. I'll just add one more thing to that as far as changes, something else uh, you and I have talked about, another big topic of conversation in the preservation world is just climate change, uh, rising sea levels and so forth. And we seem to be feeling that partly in the uh, the form of uh, more common uh, major storms and, and extreme high tides and that kind of thing. For one thing, uh, the storm before Christmas that that uh, basically uh, took away most of the, the walkway out to the lighthouse at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse and did damage at a lot of other lighthouses, as, as you well know. Um, and we just seem to be seeing that more often than we used to. So that's, that's one of the big challenges and will probably be in, increasingly so in the coming years, I'm afraid. So uh, it's right at the, the top of the list. It's I think. a hot topic all around mm-hmm. the country, maybe all around the world, but certainly you can look around the country and see that topic uh, becoming pretty prioritized by a lot of groups and municipalities and, you know, state and federal as well. So so, okay, so you've been involved as a, you know, Lighthouse Preservation as a volunteer, but as we know, there's a lot, there can be a lot of volunteers at times, but not every individual is either cut out or has the desire to step up and 
you know, assume a leader, leadership position in Lighthouses, but you've done that on a number of levels. You know, in addition to being the founder of the Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses and serving as the group's chairperson for many years, you're also vice president on the Friends of Flying Santa. And you've also served, as you noted earlier, on the board of directors for the American Lighthouse Foundation since the 1990s, late 1990s. But you're also the president of the American Lighthouse Foundation. It's a nonprofit organization that oversees 13 lighthouses, 29 historic structures overall when you factor in all of the other light station buildings. So what does it mean for you to lead by example and help guide an organization through all the, all the things that embody the responsibilities of being successful at Lighthouse Preservation? It's a big job. It is a big job, but luckily I have uh, you as the executive director. <laughs> and again, people listening are probably thinking, oh, geez, it's like a mutual love fest here. But but it's true. I mean, it's the absolute truth. And, uh, you know, you've been uh, the d- executive director for for how many years now? It's getting close to 20. Yeah, it's 18. Yeah. 18 years now. Yeah. 25. So, at all. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I mean, again, I know this is supposed to be about me, but your impact has been tremendous. And, uh, you know, you and I talk often about uh, strategies and various projects that are going on and everything. So it's a collaboration. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have, uh, some strong board members, you know, good, good board members from the various chapters and so forth. So it's, it's, it's teamwork. You know so what? I think mm-hmm. from the pot for even from, and I've seen this from the podcast that you do for the uh, U.S. Lighthouse Society, your experience in the field of preservation, uh, you have shared a lot of best practices and you've helped people with those kinds of things, just based on you being in it yourself. It's like you, People, when they know that you've seen these things, it it helps people to know that they can talk to somebody who's, you know, they're not, it's not strange to them to uh, to have to come up with answers that you've seen these things. So mm-hmm. uh, you have had outside of the organization because of what you do in your leadership positions, various ones, you've been able to help other people with that as well. Well, that's one of the nice things about the podcast is obviously that's that's what it's intended to be to a large degree. It's not just it's partly entertainment. It's part certainly a big part of it is sharing the the personal history, the human history of lighthouses. But it's also uh, a way of uh, it's a community of lighthouse organizations, mostly in this country, but in other countries too, uh, sharing information, telling, saying this is what happened to us and what we did about it. I hope that, I know that a lot of the listeners are people within the lighthouse community. I hope that they get something out of it. Maybe they get ideas, maybe they get ideas about preservation, also ideas for fundraisers and things like that. So, you know, more sharing of uh, information, the better, you know, I feel like there's been uh, – I think that's probably true in any field, uh, but with, with Lighthouse Preservation, too many uh, organizations, I think, are always reinventing the wheel because there's not enough uh, communication, enough sharing uh, of information for you know with people that have already experienced uh, the same things. So a good podcast, I hope, can help with that. Absolutely. And I know you must feel this way. I'm sure you feel you want to you leave Lighthouse Preservation better than you found it. Um, we all do, I think, uh, because we're only holding this baton for so long before we pass it off to somebody else. And we want to be able to pass it off to somebody else. So I'm sure you feel that way, right? It's uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's change gears a bit. Do you have, at least if it comes to mind, do you have a funniest moment in your lighthouse experiences? A funniest moment? Hmm. I don't know. I've 
funny. I'm trying to think. I know there's a well, there's a story I tell uh, in my lectures all the time that I think is pretty funny, but it's not really something I experienced, but has to do with Edward Rowe Snow again, where he would dive occasionally from Minot's Light, Minot's Sledge Lighthouse off uh, the South Shore of Boston. It's like a hundred more than a hundred foot tall granite tower and a submerged ledge. And he used to as late as the age of 60, he would go up the ladder and the door, doorway was 65 feet above the water and he would dive out into the water and it's all surrounded by ledges. So he had to know, you know, to land in between the ledges, obviously. Um, and uh, his daughter, Dolly, who you know as well, who's a good good friend of mine, Dolly Bicknell, who's a very much a lighthouse preservationist herself, she likes to say that she was in the doorway that on his 60th birthday, the, the time he dove out, and she said, uh, suddenly he did like a Tarzan yell and he, he dove out. And uh, she said, that's when I knew my father was crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I always say she means that in a good way. And he, you know, he inspired a lot of people to uh, live life with a passion. So that comes to mind when I think of funny lighthouse things. But that's not something I experienced. I'll tell you that I've had a lot of moments in my life. And I'm not sure I want to talk about all of them on the podcast, but Things like you get to a lighthouse and it's not what you expected, and it may be private property or whatever. And you wonder, geez, should I get on to go onto the property? Should I climb a fence to get on the property? You know, what risks am I willing to take? Uh, so I probably shouldn't get too deeply into that kind of thing. But there's been a few experiences like that over the years. I will mention one that was with with you. And I, I let's see if I can do this without mentioning the the lighthouse. But you were involved in this. I think you know what I'm talking about. Uh, let's just say that it's a privately owned lighthouse and I had been there. It's in your neck of the woods in Midcoast, Maine. I had been there earlier in the day, this particular day on the property, uh, taking pictures and thinking I was doing everything fine. But then I went to see you and then I said, you know, you want to come with me? I'll go back to the, we'll go back to this lighthouse again. And we, we parked there and the owner came out and he's, he's yelling to me, Hey, were you the guy who drove on my lawn earlier? <laughs> <laughs> I and do I, remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I guess I had turned around and gone over a corner of his lawn when I turned around and I said, well, I guess maybe I was, but then uh, when I explained who I was and who you were, if you remember, he was super nice and showed us around. In was, spite of me. <laughs> <laughs> so he couldn't have been nicer, but that was uh, my, my heart kind of stopped when he started saying that. I um, do remember that's, that's actually a good one. How about a uh, most anxious or I don't want to say scary, but how about like just a, a concerning moment at lighthouses? Oh, geez. I think you've probably been present for some of those, too. <laughs> I mean, getting on some of these places is can be terrifying, terrifying at times. Some of these I mean, that's and it's the ones that, that makes it memorable. The ones the, the lighthouse visits I remember the most are the hardest ones to, to get on. Uh, so a couple of those have been by helicopter. You've done that too with the Coast Guard, but so that's interesting. But so landing a boat at some of these places uh, is just, uh, you know, uh, will put a lot of uh, put your heart in your in your throat <laughs> at times. Um, Whaleback Lighthouse uh, being a prime example, being close to where I live here, uh, just sure. the border in Kittery, Maine, and owned by the American Lighthouse Foundation and managed by our chapter. And you and I have been there together at least two or three times, and it's it's daunting even in calm weather to to land a small boat there and, and get over the rocks and up to the lighthouse. Uh, there's no landing there other than the rocks. So, um, and it's right at the mouth of this this fast flowing estuary 
uh, that's absolutely treacherous. And it doesn't matter again what the, what we've tried different tides, different t- timings, and everything. It's just never easy. So the last time you and I were there together was uh, October. Was that 20. a better? 2020, 2020, I think. 2020, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, after we had had a project done there by uh, the Leslie company, the contractor, um, we went out there to inspect it. And I think I've told the story on the podcast before, so uh, people may may remember. Um, I I had a lot of trouble. I I just uh, I almost I almost fainted. The the stress of getting over the rocks. Remember, I had to lie down on the rocks for a while because it was so so stressful. And it was actually at that moment that I just, well, I don't know about exactly that moment, but when I got home and then had to have, uh, I reported to the doctor and had to have stress tests and all kinds of stuff because I had a couple other fainting episodes around that time. So um, anyway, as that, I decided to lose weight and I ended up losing a lot of weight. And that was what triggered it, that visit to Whaleback Lighthouse. So it was, that in itself was scary, but as far as just landing at these places, remember Ram Island Ledge Light, you and oh. I. Went yeah. there in, I think it was February 07, I think is when it was. And it's hard to believe it's that long ago. It was yeah. Like years ago. But um, with the Coast Guard Ace Navigation Team and uh, the boat is pulls up to the rocks there. And uh, again, no no usable landing other than the just the, the bare rocks. The boat's bobbing up and down and we're, cl- we're going one at a time onto the bow of the boat and jumping off onto the rocks. And I remember um, thinking, I can't do this. And then I saw, oh, th- th- there's the moment and I did it. You know what I mean? <laughs> the right moment showed itself and I knew that that was the time for me to do it, but it was scary. And then climbing up the 30 foot or whatever it is, ladder up the side of the tower. But there, you, you know, if, if, if people have not landed at offshore lighthouses, you know, you go by in a boat and you think, what's the big deal? And you don't realize the surge that is, is that rhythmic surge that keeps coming in there. Yep. So that when the coxswain or boat operator brings the boat in, they only have a second, two seconds, three seconds, they might have to back off of that. You got to, you got to make a quick decision. And of course you're almost invariably jumping onto rocks that are slime covered and it's slipperier than ice, you know, jagged. Uh, It it, it can be quite a uh, concerning moment to disembark at some of these places. Uh, Like you said, even on a good day, it doesn't seem like it makes it that much easier. So, yeah. Well, another thing comes to mind. Well, two other things come to mind as we're talking about this. One is halfway rock light. The time you and I were there with the Coast Guard it was like for an inspection visit when it was up for transfer from the NHLPA. It was like 2013. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And uh, as you remember, the Coast Guard, they circled, I think, maybe a couple of times trying to figure out the best place to, to land. And they tried one place and one of the guys, one of the Coast Guard crew got out and immediately slipped right onto a fellow flat on his back. And it looked scary the way he fell. Um, they, then they thought, well, okay, that's not the place to land. So, but they sort of got us into a crevice and then we all got out, but it was still, it was rough. And I think we had to wade a little bit of the way. Didn't we? I think we, it was, uh, it was there was some, yeah, there was some knee uh up to the knees i think knee deep yeah. water yeah i think one of the women i think she was from the gsa actually it turned out broke her thumb getting getting out the you know hitting she the did. rock or something yeah. yeah so that was that was dicey but um another thing that comes to mind is the time um and i'm gonna say this is, is easily more than 10 years ago maybe closer to 15 blue hill bay lighthouse in brooklyn maine uh near the acadia region I had not photographed that lighthouse yet, and I read in a book, America's Atlantic Coast Lighthouses, A Traveler's Guide by Ken Kokel, a book that I actually ended up uh, 
or editing a new edition of it. He wrote that it is possible to walk out to that lighthouse at low tide. So I believed him. And I, uh, I went to the place, the nearest point on the mainland, uh, it's called Fly Point, F-L-Y-E there. There's a, I think there's like a restaurant there. And I remember a, like a teenage boy walking near there. And I said, do you know if it's possible to walk out? Uh, I knew I timed it. So I knew it was low tide and, I, and he knew nothing about what I was talking about. So I just went off on my own following the sandbar. You had to walk across Fly Island, another island that was between the lighthouse and the mainland. And as I'm walking between Fly Island and uh, the island with the lighthouse, I'm realizing that uh, that the water was, I think, was already rising. And I'm walking in knee-deep water. And I got out to the lighthouse. I took a few pictures. And then I basically ran all the way back to the mainland because I was afraid I was going to be over my head. (laughs) Um, so that was scary. You talk about scary moments. That was, that was one of the scarier ones. I made it fine. And I've told that story a number of times. And I always say, yes, it is possible to walk out to that lighthouse at low tide, but don't do it. (laughs) I don't recommend (laughs) it to anybody. Well, that qualifies as a scary moment for sure. Yeah. Do you have a favorite lighthouse? And if so, why is it your favorite? Well, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but it's 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 kind of like my favorite lighthouse is the lighthouse. If I'm writing an article about one or, or uh, doing some research on it, that tends to be my favorite lighthouse at the moment. But I know that's that's kind of kind of corny and not really a good answer. I have a lot of favorite lighthouses for different reasons. You know, some are for just for their visual beauty. And right at the top of that list would be Portland Head Light. I mean, that that classic view, that calendar view of Portland Head Light is, is pretty hard to beat. Boston Light is at the top of my list because not only because it's gorgeous to look at, but the tremendous, you know, 300 years of history and the fact that I, it was the first lighthouse I was personally involved with. So that's, that's right up there for me. But I'll tell you, I did, I was in Ireland for most of the month of July with the U.S. Lighthouse Society this past July. And I saw like some like 60 lighthouses in Ireland. And one of them was Fastnet. You know about Fastnet off the south coast of Ireland. It is maybe the most spectacular lighthouse I've seen. This tall stone tower rising out of a gigantic stone island. Uh, it looks like it's just growing. out, And then the house is kind of almost integrated into the rock. It's really unusual. It's it's absolutely spectacular. And to see, uh, it's one I had always admired, you know, reading about and seeing pictures and to think that I actually got there and we circled it a couple of times in a boat. That was quite an experience. So that is that's right at the top of my list for favorite lighthouses. But Minot's Light, Boone Island, uh, you know, there's so many that have just amazing history. They might not be pretty to look at necessarily, but fascinating in, in so many ways. So. I could go on. I have a lot of faith. Oh, that's a good answer. And I think you did, you know, both both the aesthetics of a lighthouse, but sometimes the history that, that really uh, attracts people to a lighthouse and helps make it a favorite or mm-hmm. the favorite, depending on. Yeah. I guess so, the I guess the absolute favorites would be the ones that combine both uh, the tremendous history and the beauty and Boston Light and Portland Head would certainly be two examples of that. I couldn't argue with that. So can you tell us something lighthouse related that maybe our listeners don't know about you? Is there something that maybe the average hmm. person would not know about you lighthouse related? Lighthouse related. Yeah. Okay. I'm good. 
something people don't don't know about me. Um, I, I this is something I may have mentioned in the podcast. I think I mentioned not too long ago, just briefly in passing. But I collect lighthouse baseball caps. But I'm afraid if I say this, people are going to send send me lighthouse baseball caps. So don't do that. But my wife will kill me, uh, Charlotte. But uh, I have I don't know how many. I think it's I think it's thirty or forty. I think some of the old ones, some old ones got thrown away. It would be high, a higher number, but I have weeded them out. Um, so I think currently it's around thirty or forty different lighthouse baseball caps. I'm wearing an Ireland cap right now as we speak, but that I got in Ireland. But uh, most of them are for individual lighthouses, the caps I have. So that's one thing. A little bit with mugs, too. Uh, I've got a number of lighthouse mugs. But in both cases, uh, we have a, a small home, and Charlotte would not be happy if these collections grow much larger. There you go. So I'm going to list off a few random names in the lighthouse community. In just a couple sentences, can you tell me what comes to mind when I mention each name? Hmm. F. Ross Holland. Pioneer historian uh, in many ways uh, was uh, recognizing the, the historic and architectural value of lighthouses, I think, before most people were. Yeah. Ken Black. Well, Mr. Lighthouse, of course, but uh, just did a great service to uh, the lighthouse community by saving artifacts, especially lenses from the trash heap back in the 1960s and kind of the father of the main lighthouse museum. And I got to say a nice guy who was very helpful to me back in the late 80s when I visited him and uh, I was doing my videos on Edward Rose Snow, who he knew personally. They were they were friends. He knew Edward Rose Snow. So he was extremely nice, nice to me. So I always remember that. Dolly Bicknell. <laughs> Dolly is fantastic. She's uh, one of my best friends in the lighthouse world and just a great friend in general. Uh, daughter of Edward Rose Snow, uh, flew the Flying Santa flights with him from the time she was a baby. Uh, and uh, she, you know, so many things you can say about Dolly. She's in the Tennis Hall of Fame, by the way. She was a great tennis player as a, as a young woman and still teaches tennis um, and very much an important lighthouse preservationist in her own right as longtime president of Project Gurnet and Bug Lights in Plymouth, Mass. So she's done a tremendous amount and for, and she's just a kind giving person who's done a lot for charity in general. Uh, the Pan Mass Challenge, the annual bike race for the Jimmy Fund for cancer research. Uh, she's been very involved in that, a lot of other charities as well. So Dolly's just a great person. Brian Tagg. <laughs> Yeah, these are these are good good names are coming up with here. Brian, I've known I've, even longer than I've known you. I've known Brian for like 20, 25 ish years, uh, and he is tireless in the work he does as president of Friends of Flying Santa. I think a lot of our listeners know what that is, but basically a tradition of used to be dropping presents at lighthouses for keepers and their families going back to 1929. It's continued by helicopter to Coast Guard stations to show appreciation to uh, Coast Guard families. Uh, Santa gives presents to the kids of Coast Guard families. And Brian uh, has done the bulk of that work for quite a few years now and just pours himself into it in, in a thankless way. I mean, he doesn't want any personal credit for it. He does it because he thinks it's a, a, a worthwhile thing to do and important to these families. So uh, I can't say enough good about Brian and all, all the work he's put into that. And he's, a, he's a, of course, a good friend as well. Simon Ponser Roberts. Huh. Simon uh, is just a, a wonderful person and a great storyteller. Again, I, I uh, we uh, collaborated on the book uh, uh, "Everyday Heroes: The True Story of a Lighthouse Family," 
and she uh, has a unique voice as a storyteller. I've I've heard people say things like they feel like they're sitting on her porch, you know, having a cup of tea and hearing these stories. That's what you feel like when you read her stories. Uh, so um, it's been a, a real pleasure knowing her. I just heard from her a few days ago, and uh, she's, you know, she's 83 now. She's uh, certainly had her health challenges in recent years, but she's doing okay. And uh, just, it's been such a pleasure to know her for, for many years now. Chris Mills. Huh. Another great storyteller and uh, very much, a, of course, a mutual friend of ours. Chris uh, has been on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, maybe three times, and uh, is, of course, a former lighthouse keeper in Canada on both coasts and an author of a couple of books on Canadian lighthouses and a radio personality in Nova Scotia and uh, just, a, just a great guy. And talk about people who are always uh, willing to share information and, uh, and help out in different projects. Chris has been like that over the years a number of times. Uh, helping out wherever he can. And I just love listening to, to Chris's stories and, and reading about them. Um, so he's at the top of my list for best, best lighthouse people for sure. Nick Korstad. Yeah. These I'm enjoying this. This is fun. Uh, Nick is a really good friend too. And you know, um, under the NHLPA, the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act, as people know, uh, if, if they don't get any good uh, applicants for a lighthouse property, from nonprofits or community governments or whatever it may be. If there's no good applicants, the lighthouses are auctioned through the GSA, these online auctions. And Nick has been uh, the buyer of, I think it's like three different lighthouses at auction now. He was the owner for a few years of Borden Flatslide in Fall River, Mass. Did a fantastic job there. He's now uh, the owner of, uh, well, actually he didn't buy it at auction. He bought it from the previous owner, Big Bay Point Lighthouse in Michigan, on the Upper Peninsula on Lake Superior. Gorgeous place. I got to stay there for a few days last year, last April. Uh, he's done an absolutely fantastic job there. He's very talented in running these places. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's, a good at, he's good at design. He's good at uh, just managing these types of properties. And just to me, the, the best, are, Dave Waller would be another one that comes to mind as one of the best private owners, but, uh, and there's others I could name too, but Nick is right at the top of the list for the best private owners of lighthouses these days. And he's also just a great guy. And he's also been very generous to me and in many ways, really generous, especially when I was out there last April. So. I can say all kinds of good stuff about Nick. He's, he's fantastic. I've got one more for you. Your yep. wonderful wife, Charlotte Raskowski. Oh boy. Jeez. Uh, I don't know if she's going to be listening. So, um, you know, I'm, well, I'm glad you did ask because Charlotte doesn't get enough credit because uh, she has been to Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse helping out over the years at different times. But for the most part, she tends to stay in the background in the lighthouse world, but people don't realize how much she does. And I don't mean, obviously for me personally, she does so much and I can't begin to, you know, say, say how much she does for me in so many ways, but uh, for our local chapter, Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses for years, m most of our meetings in the last couple of years have been via zoom. But before that we were meeting at the Portsmouth public library often, she was always providing brownies and cookies and things for those, those meetings just baking, you know, stuff. Uh, and she's a really good baker um, and helping out to uh, like when we've done what we call our spring fling events where, and we always have an auction, uh, silent auction and uh, 
with, uh, you know, local gift certificates and things like that. She makes a lot of the phone calls to get the donations. That's all. I only, I'm the only one who sees that, uh, you know, the work she puts in behind the scenes. Uh, it's not seen by most people. So uh, I don't, I'm glad I'm, I have a chance to give her the credit. She's, she's due because uh, she's over the years, she has done, done so much that is basically unseen by people yeah and she's helped with the podcast of course too she's co-hosted a couple of times too i uh, exactly i mean uh, she's she's obviously been incredibly supportive to you and and uh, you know it's uh, it's just a wonderful thing i think it's time we come full circle so let's get back to the u.s lighthouse society podcast lighthearted you've been producing these podcasts since june of 2019 is that right that is right yeah so it's coming up on four years yeah so how many episodes are we up to at this point in time? The uh, We're speaking on February 9th here, and uh, the, the uh, episode I posted on the 5th was episode 211, 211. But besides that, there are about a do- approximately a dozen episodes that didn't have numbers that I called special editions. So it's in the 220s and maybe, maybe – uh, Closer to 230 at this point, 230 episodes. Yeah. That's fantastic. Cause I mean, as you know, Jeremy, lighthouses, they're still making history. Uh, it's a different type of history today, but they're still making history. And uh, so, too, uh, is the lighthearted podcast by being there to, to help share some of that history. So, as we're moving forward, uh, impact wise with lighthearted, uh, what do you hope to see more out of this now that you are have been in this for a bit of time now? I think, you know, obviously I'm like with anything I'm learning as it goes along. I think it's better now than when it started. I think I'm better at doing it and interviewing people and so forth than when it started. I'd like feedback from people. If they, if people have ideas like types of features that uh, I don't do enough of or that uh, I haven't done, I would love to hear from people. They can always email me at jeremy at uslhs.org. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find on the internet if, if you'd. Don't even if you forget that address, but um, I'm always interested in what people uh, suggest. I like to mix it up. You know, uh, I don't want it to be just about one aspect of lighthouses. So I try to mix in uh, stuff about preservation, stuff about human history, stuff about privately owned lighthouses that maybe have overnight accommodations. You know, there's been uh, episodes on lighthouse ghost stories. Um, the, certainly the flying Santa, I've done a couple of episodes, you know, I like to, to keep, to, to mix it up as much and mix it up geographically as well from all around this country. And I've done a number of shows about, uh, lighthouses in the UK and Ireland and Australia, New Zealand, et cetera. I'd love to be able to do more of, uh, other countries other than English speaking countries, but I've had a hard time linking up with, uh, people who can do interviews in English from those countries. I just tried to do something on Hong Kong lighthouses and I got a nice response, but they said, basically, we don't have time (laughs) to do the podcast, but I got a nice response in English. So it didn't quite work out. I, this, I'd like to address the climate issue more, uh, the, 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 the challenge it is to lighthouse preservation and how we're going to face it. I'd like to bring that more into the podcast going forward. It's, I keep thinking about that and I've done a little bit of that, but it's such a huge subject. It's hard to, it's almost daunting when you start getting into it, like how do we approach this? So we uh, will be doing things about that on the podcast, but also these uh, Zoom events we do with the U.S. Lighthouse Society. We do pretty frequent Zoom events, and there's probably going to be uh, one or more Zoom events about climate change as well. So it's probably going to be some of both. 
you know, there's always going to be new things that come up, uh, stories uh, that are unique related to lighthouses uh, and new books coming out and so forth. So I'm always looking for a new, new subject matter. One thing I'm proud of is the fact that in the almost four years since the podcast started, I haven't missed a single week with a new episode. There's been no repeats. And now I feel like the pressure is on and I have to keep that record going. Um, even when I have traveled, I've managed to line up a new enough episodes before I travel to, to get them, get them on there. So hopefully I can keep that up. Well, I'll tell you what, you're forging quite a legacy with lighthearted, not just, uh, you know, your involvement, but also the gift that these audio recordings will be for other people well into the future as people can look back. Yeah. Well, that's a big part of my hope. I mean, yeah, we, as far as the numbers of listeners, we're not up in, uh, you know, numbers like uh, NPR or Joe Rogan. I think he has the most popular uh, podcast. Our numbers aren't going to aren't going to compare to things like that. But I'm proud of the fact that a large percentage of the listeners are in the Lighthouse community, you know, people who actually work with Lighthouses. Uh, I'm also proud of the fact that uh, the statistics show us that something like 87% of the people who listen to any episodes listen to at least three quarters of the episode. That says something to me that it, it holds their attention pretty well. And I, but I, I like the fact that this will become part of the record, you know, for a particular lighthouse or or author or whatever it may be that, yeah, years from now, hopefully that'll still be out there and accessible to people are researching that subject, it becomes part of the record, which I, I like. Yeah. Truly. So in closing, it is my hope that lighthearted listeners have gained a better understanding of you as a person, Jeremy. And of course, the many diverse ways that you have helped others learn about lighthouses, you've enhanced their joy of lighthouses, and how you're helping lead by example to preserve our lighthouses for future generations. It's quite a shining legacy. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for being such a wonderful friend. Any closing words? Right back at you, Bob. <laughs> You're welcome. And thank you so much uh, for everything. And thank you for doing this. It's a little scary, but but fun in a scary kind of way. So I, I had a it. blast. I had a blast. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I'll mention again that Jeremy's website, New England Lighthouses, A Virtual Guide, can be seen at newenglandlighthouses.net. And the Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses site is at portsmouthharborlighthouse.org. Bob, thank you again so much for coming up with this idea for the interview and for doing such a great job with it. You're welcome, Jeremy. Had a blast. And I'll tell you what, I mean, you've interviewed people, of course, all over the country and, and now even from different parts of the world. And to have that opportunity to interview you and allow people from all over who may not have known you as well to get to know your Lighthouse background. I think that's uh, that's just enriching the whole Lighthearted podcast uh, experience. Well, I, I, hope, I hope so. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Uh, you know, maybe this is dangerous, but let me ask you, Bob, is there anything you'd like to ask me that you haven't already asked in the interview? Well, now that you mention that, I do have something to ask you. Uh-oh. 100 <laughs> years from now, what would you want the future to remember about Jeremy Dontremont? Ooh. Wow. That is a, that is a great question. Um, hmm. Well, uh, let's say uh, that um, I'd like to be remembered as somebody who helped keep the human history of lighthouses alive. Uh, that that was my, my mission, really. Uh, 
also, you know, it might be nice to be remembered as I hope a nice guy. <laughs> that would be nice too. But for as far as my my career, if uh, people uh, maybe see my my writing in the future, I hope they they realize how much I how much I cared about keeping this history alive. Wonderful. Great answer. Mm-hmm. Well, we want to remind everyone to check out uslhs.org to learn about the tours, preservation grants, and everything the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers. Please remember that donations and memberships help support this podcast. And I also want to remind people that the Society has a great season of tours coming up. I will be leading a Long Island, New York tour from May 13th to May 20th. We will be visiting 15 lighthouses, two lightships, and six museums on that tour. I'm also involved with a Northern Lake Michigan tour in July. And there's also still room on our Northern California tour in April. You can read about uh, those tours and all the rest at uslhs.org. Before we end this episode, is there anything either of you would like to add? Just from my part, just to say it was an honor to be able to interview Jeremy. And Jeremy, just thank you for your ongoing dedication to Lighthouses and the great work you're doing with this podcast, Lighthearted. It's, it's, I know it's being, uh, it's being enjoyed by so many people and it's going to carry forward too. So I think that's just great. And thank you. You're welcome. And of course the feeling is mutual. Thanks for everything you do and you've done so much in the Lighthouse world. So, uh, and thank you, Cindy, too. You've made great contributions to Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses into this podcast. So it's a, it's a mutual admiration society here. (laughs) So thank you both again. And uh, I just want to mention that next week's episode will feature an interview with Tim Mount and Lynn Mack, who have served as caretakers at several lighthouses all around the world. And I'll let you two have the honor of closing this episode. As always, to all the regular listeners and new ones, thanks so much for listening and keep a good light. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine.